Nothing great in my life, I feel like, is because of porn and sex work. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. You guys... I am super stoked for today's episode. Today's episode and Monday's episode is part of a two-parter about sex work. So as you saw, the title to this episode is Sex Worker. And if to that you are wondering, what is a sex worker exactly? First of all, I asked that question about five minutes into this first episode. So you will get a very good definition from Maxine. But the reason that this is a two-parter, and they are both quite long, the one on Monday will be even longer than today's is, is because Maxine does absolutely everything in the sex world. Um, She is an escort, um, which, by the way, when referring to her being an escort, many times I say the private work that you do. When I say private, I mean like one-on-one stuff. Um, and so that's what I'm referring to when I say private work uh, is uh, is her being an escort. So she is an escort. She does porn. She um, does live shows. She is also a sex activist. So she's very, very active in the community of uh, working on on rights and decriminalization in the sex worker world and um, and also cares a lot about sexual harassment and sexual assault and created the Ask First campaign, which is a really cool campaign that you will hear about in episode two on Monday. Um, but anyways, there was just so, so, so much to talk about here with Maxine and she is incredibly candid, incredibly awesome in discussing everything with me. Um, in addition to talking about all of the different things that she does, we talk a lot about the uh, kind of philosophy behind all of it um, and the different views that people have. Uh, Maxine is very well educated. She has her master's in public health. So she's an incredibly unique person to get her perspective on all these different sorts of things. So anyways, I hope you all enjoy the two-part episode, Sex Work. As an aside, uh, hopefully no kids clicked on this. I haven't used any bad words yet, but uh, definitely uh, parental discretion advice. I won't even say parental discretion advice. Just if you are a parent, your kid should absolutely not listen to either today's or Monday's episode. This is absolutely adults only um, for these two episodes. I uh, cannot really stress that enough. Uh, even if you have very delicate sensibilities, you might just want to skip this one. Um, there are very uh, some like vulgar things said, particularly in episode two. Um, we, you know, just talking about just the the dirty details of of what happens in the sex world. So um, definitely uh, listen at your own discretion. But uh, if you are open to to hearing about interesting things, I think you will like this a lot. Without further ado, here is part one of Sex Worker. Maxine, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Blake. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the sex work that you do and what sex work is and all that kind of stuff, why don't you start telling us a little bit about yourself and your history and how it is exactly that you got started in sex work? Because I feel like that it has got to be like a huge question on people's minds when they meet you. It's like, how, what is the origin of all of this? Yeah, the origin story. Um, yeah, so I 
got into sex work in 2008. Um, I was living in San Francisco. Um, at the time, I was working at an art gallery. I was, um, and still am, a photographer. And a lot of the art and photos that I was making was about female sexuality. Um, that was something like human sexuality is something I've always been really interested in. And so that's what I was using the camera for, taking a lot of um, pictures about sex. Um, and so at that time I was working in this art gallery that was owned by a porn star and started meeting other porn performers, started meeting other sex workers and kind of stumbled upon this really cool community in the Bay of artists and hookers and porn performers. And after enough time, someone was like, Hey, I would like to put you in a porn film. And I thought about it for a very long time and decided that like, yeah, that's something I would like to try out. Um, and I did it and the experience went really well and I really liked it. Um, and kind of thought it would be a, Oh, this is something I was trying out. Um, but then ended up being asked to be in another film and was getting paid for that. So at the time I was working, working part-time at an art gallery and bartending at one restaurant and waiting tables at another to make ends meet in San Francisco. Um, and then found out about sex work where I could, you know, shoot films, see clients and make just as much money as working three jobs. And that really worked for my lifestyle and like what I was trying to do with my life as far as like um, art and going back to school. Um, yeah, it was really, so much it was really hard you. to do when you're working 3.5 jobs and then also trying to set aside time to be creative and, you know, spend time with your friends and right, family and all that. Exactly. Like, that, that struggle is pretty real. So um, I was able to make the same amount of money in a shorter amount of time. And a lot of the projects I was involved with were really creative and they were with really interesting and creative people. So, um, yeah, it kind of snowballed from there. That's so great. It's so cool. It, time is just so, so valuable. And there's so many, which we'll get into in this interview, like so many amazing things that you have done over the past, like, you know, five or six years. And so much of that is due to the free time that that your life has afforded you now. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's so invaluable. It's yeah, also basically everything great in my life. I feel like is because of porn and sex work. That's I love that. And what a, yeah, just what a great thing. And it's so interesting. I love hearing people's kind of origin stories on things because of the whole entire, like nature nurture question, you know, of like, is this something that was always inside you? Is it something where the environment that you were in kind of made this happen? Um, for you, it sounds like you were interested in it, but then certainly the environment was the main catalyst that, that made this happen without, without having the, the people around you that were around you. Is this something that you feel like you would have kind of found your way to anyways, or it took having those people around you in the beginning to kind of, uh, like nudge you in this direction? Yeah, I think the place and the time where I was at, um, is really, was really important, um, the, the community and the people that kind of introduced me to sex work had a lot to do with how and why I entered in it. And, you know, maybe if I was in a different city or 
you know, a different time, I would have entertained the idea, but the practical steps that like got me like on set and learning how to do sex work, um, had a lot to do with the people around me and, um, that community, which I still am surrounded with today. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, parts of sex, and again, we'll get into more of this later, but it's like parts of sex work are criminalized, other parts are mm-hmm. looked down upon, and this and that. So it's got to be a very difficult industry to learn about unless you are directly interacting with, you know, unless you have the situation that you had. It's not like you can just like go asking, you know, most people don't have friends that are in that line of work or anything. So it's, it's a difficult thing to, uh, to get involved with if you do not have the situation present itself like how you did. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about being a sex worker. So first of all, what would you define a sex worker as? And then like, what are some of the, the like proper terminologies, uh, underneath that whole banner and i guess is sex Mm -hmm. work kind of like the main banner and then there's other terms that you can use underneath that yeah so sex work is really an umbrella term that describes a group of people that have a shared experience of exchanging um sexual labor for money or goods like that's the kind of classic textbook definition um and so being a sex worker can can look like a lot of things people enter the sex industry for various reasons and have lots of different experiences within sex work. Um, and you know, the personal experience of sex workers can be really different. And a lot of that can do with your socioeconomic status, class, race, sexual identity and orientation. But yeah, basically a sex worker is someone who exchanged exchanges sexual services for for money. Some of the jobs that are considered sex work are being an escort, being a professional dominatrix, being a phone sex operator, porn performer, um, professional submissive, um, a live sex show performer, stripper. So, and you know, there's always more jobs and activities that are sprouting up every day, but so out of all those that you said, would being a prostitute be the only one of those things that is illegal and the rest of them are legal? Um, those things aren't super clearly defined all the time. Um, porn is legal. Um, being a stripper is legal. Uh, being an escort is not. Um, some people feel or think that being like a professional dominatrix is legal, but there's actually the the fine line about what makes something a sexual, a sexual activity is really gray in the eyes of the law. So is it just penetration of some sort or what? Um, it's actually not defined. So you can, you can being a professional dominatrix is not legal either, even though some people might say it is or feel that it's different than being an escort. Um, there's a lot of gray area there. So these laws are so insane and everything's just so I, for lack of a better term, archaic and and just bizarre. Like the idea that, that if, if you are in a porn movie, so you, you are currently being paid to have sex with somebody else. And, Mm -hmm. and that is okay because we're filming it. And now if you go and get paid by somebody to have sex on a private basis, it's no yeah. longer okay anymore Two because you're not filming it. Like, what the hell? <laughs> and like, so I guess if you, 
if you wanted to be an escort, as long as you filmed it, like it's okay, I guess, if you had some sort of license or something? Um, technically, I mean, there are, there are some legal restrictions, even when filming porn, you have to have 2257 paperwork and often a permit and things like that. But it's, those types of laws are really archaic and puritanical and actually really dangerous too. criminalizing sex work, um, puts it underground. It makes it less safe. It makes it harder for sex workers to access protection, um, resources, community, like how we, we began talking about how important community is when entering sex work. Um, when something is criminalized and pushed underground, it, it makes it a lot harder for people to uh, communicate and share resources and share safety tips and all those types of things. So it's, it is a pretty mind boggling thing when you think about what's legal and what's not. And it's even more mind boggling when you start to think about the repercussions of something that is criminalized. Yeah, absolutely. So I, that makes me think so much of when I very first graduated college, I went all over Europe with a friend and we got to <laughs> Amsterdam and there's obviously the red light district there. And I remember learning about the fact that like all these girls get healthcare and they get checkups and then, you know, there, there, there's these standards and, <clears throat> and, uh, and it and just helps out the girls so much. The fact that this is this legal thing that the state is regulating um, is that I get like you know a lot about this stuff. Is that a good example of how this thing can work better? Is the way that it's being handled in Amsterdam, or what are some like good examples I guess in the world right now of how we could and should maybe be handling this? Yeah. So in Amsterdam, it is legalized and very regulated. And there, I've never worked in Amsterdam myself, but. Um, there are some benefits and there's also some drawbacks. Like there is a lot of legal protection. Um, I'm sure the job is still stigmatized culturally in a lot of ways, even when it is something that's legal. But, um, you know, there are some drawbacks with government regulation. There's a lot of things going on with our government and women's bodies right now that I don't have a lot of trust in the government regulating what's best for my body. And then when it comes to sex work, I don't know if I would trust the government to make the best protocols and regulations. Um, so there's a little bit of uh, hesitation for me to fully embrace this legalized government regulated version of sex work. Um, I push more for decriminalization, um, just the way being a freelance graphic designer or an accountant is not legal or Ill illegal, you know, there, there's still laws that everyone has to follow, but those things aren't heavily regulated by local, state, or federal government. And that's what I would like to see sex work um, be like. So it's some, it is decriminalized, but not heavily regulated by state and local government. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. And something that's so interesting about all of this to me is like we, and, and this is why I, I almost didn't want to use the term archaic because it's like if you go back throughout history, there's just been this ebb and flow of sexual openness, if you want to call it mm -hmm. that, throughout history. Like, I mean, the Romans were like getting crazy, you know, like it's <laughs> uh, it's so funny to, that like that right now we have prostitution and these things being illegal. And I mean, even in this uh, this country itself, at a, at a certain time, it was, you know, legal. And 
And in other places in the world, it, like there's been times where everything's just totally cool and like very lax and very open, and then it cracks down. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's so it's so bizarre that I guess it doesn't go in more of a, a straight line of things just getting more and more open that it just goes back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, we we hold real we hold our puritanical roots real hard sometimes in this country. <laughs> yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and the way that um, the way that that criminalization is kind of dispersed is also really unequal. Like you know, myself, I'm a white cisgendered woman who works indoors, and um, you know, I'm at risk of being arrested and you know things happening to me. But the amount of people of color and trans women that are arrested for sex work is um, exponentially higher. So you see a lot of things affecting like the way that these laws are enforced. Yeah. Uh, You know, higher end escorts are not arrested as much as um, brown people who work outside. So there's a lot of classism and racism and, you know, transphobia in the way that these laws are enforced and carried out. So Yeah, which is so sad. All right, let's talk a little bit more about sex work and the different things that yeah. you do. So uh, you mentioned that the way that you got started in this was movies. So let's go ahead and start there. Tell us about these movies that you were in and kind of what it is like um, being in porn and like being on the set of a movie. Yeah, so yeah, the, my first form of sex work was porn and... I've since shot a variety of different types of porn. I've made my own porn. I started directing and producing my own work shortly after entering the industry. Um, And I've done really mainstream work. I've done kink and fetish porn. I've shot on feminist and queer porn sites. And, you know, they're all a little bit, they're not a little bit, they're all really different. Um, Sometimes we're shooting in a, studio that has um, an amazing set and 10 people with cameras and lights and all that kind of stuff. Um, Other times we're at a friend's house shooting in her bedroom. Um, Sometimes we're at an Airbnb or a hotel. Um, There's really just so many different ways that porn is shot nowadays that um, every experience is pretty unique and different. Let's talk about your first experience. How, I guess, nervous were you like driving there on your first, like driving to the <laughs> set? And then is everything was like getting started and everything? Like what was going through your head? Yeah, I was really nervous. Um, at the time, uh, it, so my first shoot was a solo. It was just a masturbation scene. And I was really nervous. I had kind of planned and rehearsed the entire masturbation scene in my head. Like I had it completely choreographed. Um, I think I spent just as much money as I got paid on like getting my nails done and buying new lingerie. (laughs) I don't think I made a profit on my first scene. Like maybe I made 40 bucks at the end of the day. But yeah, I was really into like um, everything being really perfect and uh knowing exactly what I was going to do. It was very, uh, choreographed and but it still went well. I had a, I had a really That's nice time. So great. And That's like exactly possible. as you would expect. I love that. Yeah. And I was really nervous. I wanted it to go really, really well. And it did like, I've since like then have gone back and 
watched that scene and I'm like, okay, that looks like someone's first porn scene. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to nowadays where I kind of just eat a taco, roll on the set. Um, It's less of a nervous production as it was. I love that eating a taco is like a key part to making everything (laughs) go off without a hitch now. That's great. That's That's, way better than getting your nails done is eating a taco. That first scene, it, it... it went down like exactly like how I would imagine it going down, you know, like you're so you're so worried about everything, like looking good and, and being good and everything like that. Um, whenever I so I had an actor on the show last year and I asked about like romantic scenes and stuff like that. And I've heard so many times when actors or actresses are interviewed about doing uh, like a romance scene. And they'll be like with, you know, one of like the best looking people in the world doing this romance scene. And they're like, dude, seriously, like you can't get into it. Like, it's like, they're like, it's, it's not BS. Like, I know people always say that and you think, come on, you must like be into it and feeling it when you're getting to like make out with this person. that's just gorgeous. And like, but you seriously can't because there's these cameras around you and like all this stuff is going through your head and you just, you want the scene to look right. So you can't really get out of your head. So now that you have done a number of scenes and you work with other people in the industry and stuff, A, are are you yourself really able to get into it? Um, And and B, talking with other people who are in porn, that maybe like that's all that they do. They just do tons of porn and stuff. Are they really able to um, like get off? Are they able to enjoy it? Yeah. So I think everyone has a little bit different of a process and approach. to how they do porn and how they enjoy it or don't enjoy it. I have been really fortunate. I have been able to work with a lot of people that I um, am am close to and think that are very attractive and interesting. Um, You know, and sometimes I've been able to pick my own co-stars and that's really fun. And I, I think that, and you know, and sometimes I don't, sometimes I have, walked on the set and you meet that person right then and there and um, levels of being attracted to them vary. Uh, But I feel that part of my job is to cultivate that chemistry and to emote that connection and sexuality and spark. So I, whether it's someone that I, whether I'm performing with my partner who I already like, love and adore and love to fuck or I'm performing with um, someone I just met. Um, I try to be really in the moment and I try to um, cultivate that spark and find the things that are interesting or attractive about that other person and let the scene play off of that kind of magic and chemistry. So, I mean, Yeah, it it might not be someone that I would select out of a crowd to have sex with in my personal life, but my job is to kind of create that chemistry um, and to emote that, whether that's actually what is going on inside of me or not. Like, I am able, part of my skill set, why I think I'm good at my job is I am able to emote those feelings and that passion and that connection. And sometimes that ends up snowballing into real um, attraction and things that feel really good to my body. And sometimes I've come really, really hard during a scene. And sometimes I have faked an award-winning 
come. <laughs> and both of those things are really okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's always been my approach. That's great. And I love to hear that that is your approach. I don't know if I am unique among men or if there's a lot of other men out there that are like me, but like the number one thing that I care about, basically the only thing that I care about when I'm watching porn is that the woman <laughs> is having a really good time. And like, <laughs> you, I feel like you can tell if people are faking or, you know, it's like, I just want to know yeah, that the woman is that. having a good time, you know? When people faking all the time i have faked some beautiful beautiful scenes before yeah which i yeah. guess isn't even like faking like it's just because i'm not actually orgasming doesn't right mean I'm not. yeah there, there's the faking the orgasm part but then there's also just the is this person okay in life right like are they are they having a good time in life right now you know like is is this all okay for them you know and i i always want to feel like it like you know, that they're happy with what they're doing and they're happy with this scene or whatever it is, you know? Um, and that's great that that is like your main focus is to create this chemistry and you don't view your job as like, oh, well, it's my job just to have sex. Like the fact that the first thing that you said is like, it's my job to create this chemistry in this situation is awesome because I agree that is your job. Like that, that, that should be the most <laughs> important thing that, that people are focused on. Yeah, I think... Um some parts of the porn industry kind of dumb down what consumers would like to see. Um, while I know, you know, there's a lot of really bad porn out there that you can access really easily. Um, my conversations with men as a sex worker, whether they're fans or clients or webcam clients, um, is that a majority of people and men are mostly my clients, um, really do want to see, like that connection and pleasure, like that is what is actually getting them off is that is seeing that type of pleasure happening on film or in person. Um, so I think this idea that men don't like that or that's not important to them uh, is kind of just dumbing down male sexuality and doesn't really help anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm happy to hear that. And that is the way that it should be. The same way that, that women, um, uh, you know, as a whole, or, or perhaps it's just a stereotype or whatever, might like romance movies because they like to um, think about those things for themselves. And they like to think about like, oh, what would it be like if this dude that looked like Ryan Gosling like swept me off my feet and, you know, what was just head over heels for me and like said all these beautiful, wonderful things to me. It's like, I feel like any normal person and any normal man, if they're watching porn should be like, okay, I don't want, <laughs> if I were to be having sex with that person, or if I were to be having sex with anyone, I want them to be really, really in, I want them to be excited that they're having sex with me. You know, like, yeah, I don't want this person to be like, yeah, like, I guess I'm having sex with you right now. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's not good. That's not what anybody should want, you know, <laughs> or like the fact that you're having sex with somebody because you have to, you know, um, that it's like, no, like I really, really want this thing to be happening right now, you know? Um, yeah. and Con consent is important. I think being able to get a sense that this scene is consensual is an important thing as well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the feminism piece right now before we move on to some of the other things that you do and have done, because you mentioned that yeah. you've done some feminist porn movies uh, or like, you know, for feminist porn sites and stuff like that. So I would love mm -hmm. to talk about feminism and sex work because this is something that you care about and that you focus on. Um, 
if we could talk a little bit about your definition of feminism, because I think something that's difficult in the world nowadays, um, that's, I guess, a good thing, but that can manifest itself as a bad thing, is that as you know, with social media and this and that, it's like everyone has a voice and we can we can see and hear everyone's voice all the time. And people have very different concepts about the things that they believe in, you know? So it's like people, mm-hmm. for instance, I mean, we just saw that with the election with Trump in this country, people who are conservative and people who are Republican are like, okay, this is why I'm conservative and Republican. This is who we are as conservatives and Republicans. And yet then Trump gets nominated. It's like, oh, wait, I guess this is who we are. It's you know, like maybe yeah. I'm not, I'm not speaking for all conservatives and Republicans. I guess you know. Um, and likewise, I feel like with feminism, there are a lot of different definitions of feminism, and I feel like there's probably a lot of maybe backlash against any sort of. Uh, I shouldn't say any sort of porn, but like porn with men where like the man is dominating in any way because it's like, well, you know, that man's like objectifying you um, and you're just in his porn movie. Um, So talk about, I guess, what your definition of feminism is and how you kind of reconcile these things that you do with with feminism as a whole. Yeah. So ultimately, I see feminism as the idea that all genders are equal and that women have total autonomy over their own bodies in the same way that men do. It's really interesting that a lot of brands of feminism think that porn is and sex work also is bad for women. And um, that's really taking away um, a woman's just a woman's decision of, of like, what she does with her body, um, what types of sexual desires that she has. I think any time that feminism is trying to censor or regulate that, it's really dangerous. Um, and as far as porn, that, you know, rougher porn or BDSM porn, um, these, are, these are fantasies that have to do with power dynamics, and they're not inherently... Um, negative or abusive. There's lots of women that have rough sex and BDSM fantasies. I do. I participate in rough sex and BDSM in my personal life and on screen. Um, But it all comes back to consent. And if we're going to shame women for, and men for being into these like power dynamic aspects of our sexuality, um, I think that's really dangerous and really goes against a lot of the core feminist values that I have. Um, I think focusing on things like teaching men and women about consent and how to communicate sexual needs and sexual boundaries, that if that is in place, uh, having rough sex or enjoying rough porn is completely healthy and can be very feminist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, if you're empowering a woman, if you're empowering anyone to be able to feel comfortable um, with doing the things that they want to do um, with their own body or, or, or feel comfortable feeling the way that they want to feel, um, there can be no, nothing negative about that. Yeah. And I think a lot of those opinions come from people not understanding what it's like to work in porn. Um, including BDSM porn, 
and maybe also not understanding BDSM. A lot of these like really strong value reactions um, are based um, in like not really knowing the full story or really understanding the full dynamic. So a lot of people that are like, porn is bad. This is the worst thing to happen to women have probably never set foot on a porn set in their lives. And to anyone that has that idea, like I would invite you to email me or call me. And, you know, what often happens is people with any type of sex work, including porn, is that they get this they're like, this is how it is because this is how it's presented in movies or I read this article, but very seldom do people actually ask the sex worker, like ask the people that are performing in these movies, ask the people that are making these movies and what that, what it's actually like, what it's actually like to make a really rough, intense BDSM scene. And then what the final product turns out and then is marketed. I mean, it's, something that's made to be sold um, is probably it's probably made in a really different way than people are um, speculating. So do a little more research, find out what it's really like. Yeah, I guess what are, are what is what you're getting at kind of that like it's not for the most part filmed in some like seedy weird place with a bunch of weird people like it when when the camera is not rolling, it's a bunch of like nice happy people that are like smiling and are enjoying each other's company and it's like okay now we're gonna kind of the same way that actors get into character for a scene it's like okay now we're gonna get into character for this sex scene but a minute ago we were just like smiling and enjoying each other's company it's not like we were being fucking weird with each other when the cameras weren't rolling (laughs) yeah most of the time like porn sets are these really weird kind of silly goofy environments where people are like making each other laugh and eating snacks and then you know, the cameras start rolling and you're like, okay, then you, you know, tie someone from the ceiling and electrocute their taint. And that's okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty intense. So I feel like, I feel like the issue that, that the average, uh, I shouldn't say the average feminist because this, that's certainly the wrong way to say that. So I feel like mm-hmm. the issue that some feminists would have with just any sort of porn, not, not just, uh, like BDSM or any sort of like male dominant porn or anything is just exactly what you were talking about earlier that women are objectified in society and it's like you are allowing this objectification to continue because 99% of the people watching this porn are probably going to be men that are using it for their pleasure that are watching women being handled in the way that, that men want women to be handled for the most part, you know, um, so I, I feel like that would probably be the biggest disagreement with the whole thing. Like, so yeah. I, I guess, what are your thoughts well, on think, any of that? I think, yeah, I think it's interesting that people put so much responsibility on porn, which essentially is a form of entertainment um, and fantasy um, when our culture has failed so miserably to provide young people with proper sex education and teaching people about consent um, that now the responsibility to teach for the responsibility is on porn to teach men how to treat women and how to treat women to um, identify their sexuality. Like it's really interesting to me that there's that much importance placed on 
this medium that really is for entertainment. So it's interesting that like anti-porn, there's like a whole anti-porn movement that they're really just trying to get rid of porn because that will reduce um, the amount of misogyny and that will reduce domestic violence where like that's just not true. That's like such an upstream approach when there's so many core problems that are going on as far as like violence against women and rape culture and things like that, that we're not addressing. We're only looking at this one medium and, um, and, and they're not even looking really hard at that medium because if you really look at porn, there's a ton of different type of types of content being made that a lot of that is being made by female directors and filmmakers and queer people and people of color that are making some really hot, beautiful, interesting, smart, creative pornography. So, I mean, just like there's some really bad movies out there, like clothes on movies, I call them. And there's some really beautiful masterpieces. <laughs> like the same thing happens in the porn industry. So people really take this broad stroke approach and, um, they are like all porn is like this when again, like a lot of these value judgments placed on porn are not backed by a lot of, uh, education or knowledge about the porn industry. So I would invite people to look a little further, see what other kind of porn is out there. And if you're really worried about misogyny and violence against women, like go volunteer at, your local like women's shelter, donate money to to causes that actually help and protect women. And then also put your money where your mouth is. Go buy porn that is made by women and actually pay for your porn. That's a huge thing in the porn industry. There's so much stuff that is pirated and for free. And it's go purchase porn that that you want to see and support that financially. And this idea of abolishing porn or making it go away or making anyone that participates in pornography, labeling them as not a feminist or participating in violence against women is just such a half-baked idea that can really, um, that just has lots of holes in it. So I'd really invite people to just, you know, if, if you have that strong of an opinion about porn and feminism and the objectification of women, like, really get in there and see what's going on. Absolutely. Very half-baked. If you take that idea to its kind of ultimate conclusion, you would then think that, like you said, all right, well, if we just abolish porn, then people will be better to women. And if you look across the world, the areas that do not allow porn and, and that are just not open at all with their sexuality are certainly not treating their women better. And if you look at places, again, like the Netherlands or something, like in Amsterdam, they have women standing naked in front of glass windows, you know, like literally looking like an object. And yet they treat their women very well. You know, like the, it's it's a good society. Like they don't have these like massive problems with misogyny or anything. So I certainly think that it's a bit of a stretch to claim that that's leading to any sort of problem. Absolutely. And that, and that doesn't like excuse the porn industry from everything like there is exploitation that happens in any type of um capitalist exchange um and there is you know things that the people in the porn industry are doing to make our job 
uh, safer and more lucrative and better for us. But um, that change really needs to come from within the porn industry, not from people making value judgments about what's morally okay or not okay or what's feminist or not feminist. Um, Telling people what to do with their bodies is a pretty unfeminist action in my book. So Absolutely. So yeah, we, I think you, you just, you support people in the porn industry. You don't um, shame them and label them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Maxine, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the private work side of your business. So yeah. um, first of all, if you just want to like talk a little bit about what that's like and how you set everything up. Um, and I would also love to know, um, like kind of, I guess how, how things got started for you and how you were able to start getting clients and how you get clients now. Yeah. Um, so I, the internet is the best, one of the best tools for sex workers. I first started getting clients off of Craigslist back in the day when Craigslist was still a thing. Um, and now I have my own website and I advertise on various, um, professional platforms. Um, and it's a pretty, you know, average way that a lot of people get clients in any type of business. Someone contacts me, um, and we have a email exchange and then I have them go through a screening process, um, and, you know, talk a little bit about what they're looking for and if we're going to be a good fit and then it's a calendar game and then you schedule something and that's how the magic happens. Have you ever, when talking to somebody via email, determined that it was not going to be a good fit? Um, yeah, I have. Could you Uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So what I'm looking for when I'm emailing with a client is how responsive they are, how good they are about communicating and listening to my, um, requests and boundaries. If someone's really pushing it, it, a about my screening process. Well, I have this information, but I don't have that. And, um, things like that I'm paying attention to, like, is someone delivering all the information that I'm asking for in a really easy and positive way? Or are they trying to sidestep screening or provide reasons why they don't need to go through the screening? Stuff like that is a red flag. I'm like, okay, if you're having trouble just like negotiating, logistical aspects by email then that it's probably a sign of worse things to come yeah exactly yeah that makes a lot of sense all right maxine let's say tomorrow i decide that i want to be a sex worker i decide that i want to do some All right, guys, that is it for part one of Sex Worker. Join us again on Monday for part two of Sex Worker, where as you could hear right there, very first thing that will happen is I will get my own personal advice for how to become a prostitute. And uh, there's so many awesome other things that we'll cover in part two. We'll cover the uh, the sex shows, like the live sex shows that she puts on and how those go down. Uh, we'll cover dating struggles and stigmatism, uh, managing your jealousy if you're dating somebody in the industry, something called the hierarchy. There's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the education that she does and teaching college classes on this. It's, uh, there's a lot more to go in part two. Also, on Thursday of next week starts the Half Hour Intern Awards, you guys. I know you're excited. I'm freaking excited. I'm so excited. 
Um, so we will be giving out the first three awards on Thursday of next week. So definitely go and vote this weekend if you would like to get your vote in for who you think should get various awards in the Half Hour Intern Awards. And we'll be kicking it off on Thursday of next week. But uh, Monday, we got part two of Sex Worker coming at you. Thanks so much for listening, guys.